Thanks so much, uh, Laura. Um, oh, let's pray. Let's pray as we uh, come to these wonderful words together. Heavenly Father, salvation has come. We pray that this morning, whether we've heard that umpteen times before or whether it's the first time we've heard it, that our hearts would burn with delight knowing that the Lord Jesus has come and will come again. Teach us how to live in the light of that. Through these words we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes on the high street uh, in Winchester, you you might have seen them, you get these kind of marketing people who set up their little stool, uh, and you're walking down the high street, and and they're they're a bit annoying, aren't they? You know, like you want to walk past, but they stop you, they want to sell you something, they want to ask you some questions. Um, My instinct is to think, well, I'd rather go on a kind of a two-mile diversion than than have to face whatever it is they want to say to me. But but imagine imagine we set ourselves up there, one or two of us, and and we stop people, and we ask them, look, what, what do you think? People need saving from. See what kind of responses we get. Maybe the first response is, well, people like you asking me annoying questions. That would be a useful thing to be saved from. But but there would be other things as well, wouldn't there? Cost of living. War in Ukraine. Mental health. Environmental disaster. Oppression. Injustice. So many things that people might say. And it's interesting, when you get to the Bible, you you see something similar. There are a number of things that the Bible will tell us we need saving from. But what I want us to see this morning is that Luke focuses our attention on something very particular. So um, the way this this passage is structured is, is that it focuses you in on the middle. You have stuff about God's law at the beginning, stuff about God's law at the end, and then you're focused in the middle. And particularly to what Simeon says, Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. Seen your salvation. And the section begins with the naming of Jesus. You know what the name Jesus means. God saves. For Luke, salvation has come, but it's what he focuses in on which is so interesting for us. That's what we're going to think about this morning. Salvation is come, the first point. The law is fulfilled. The law is fulfilled. See, Luke puts the focus of God's salvation in a very particular place. Yes, the Bible will talk about us being saved from sin and sickness and death, but here it's a very particular focus. God saves means God saves us from the consequences of the law. Listen to what Luke keeps coming back to in these verses. Verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of God. 24, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, Joseph and Mary are doing what the law required. And then at the end of the section, verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. The law does not sound very exciting to us, does it? But for Luke, this is so important. Mary and Joseph kept God's law. And that is important because it means Jesus did as well. 
Look at some of the things that they did in order to keep God's law. That The law required the circumcision of a son on the eighth day. Verse 21, they circumcise Jesus. In Leviticus 12, the law required that mothers to be purified after childbirth. Now, now isn't the time to go into why women needed to be purified, but it's, it's not what you think, I suspect. It's not because having a baby was immoral or sinful. You can ask me later or ask Laura in Redeemer Women. They've been going through Leviticus. Um, we'd, we'd happily talk to you a bit more about that. But here's the point. In verse 22, Mary keeps the law of purification. And the law required in Exodus 13 that the firstborn son should be consecrated to the Lord, set apart for God. And that is what they do in verse 23. Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated or sanctified to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. The law required circumcision, purification, sanctification. And when it came to Jesus, to their newborn son, Mary and Joseph did everything required of the law. And that means Jesus, even from the moment he was born to his final breath, perfectly kept God's law. And that is why he can save us. He can save us from the consequences of breaking God's law, the curse of the law, judgment and hell, because he perfectly kept God's law. You see, that means when he went to the cross and died his death, he wasn't dying for his own disobedience and his own sin. He was perfect in obedience from being circumcised as a newborn to keeping the Passover just before the cross. He wasn't dying for his own sin. He was able to die for my disobedience and your disobedience to the law. And even more wonderful, when we trust in Jesus, we are united to him and his perfect obedience, his keeping of the law becomes my keeping of the law. I will stand before the day, uh, before the Lord on that day of judgment and it won't be my moral record on display. Praise the Lord. It won't be my obedience. It won't be my goodness that I'm trying to hold up. It'll be Jesus's. I will stand under his righteousness and his obedience. So yes, salvation has come. Jesus saves and he saves us by perfectly keeping God's law. From the moment he was born to the moment he died. Now, when we think of saviors, we, we think of superheroes and their superpowers. Superman and his flying and his super strength. Spider-Man and his spidey senses and his little webs that he sends out. And they save the world. What is Jesus' superpower? Obedience. Doesn't sound as catchy, does it? Obedience, man. I keep the law. Wait for Marvel to make that one. But you see, obedience to God's law is a beautiful thing. It means a life of loving God, worshipping God, pointing others to where life and hope and joy can be found. A life of obedience to God's law is a life of loving others, truth, 
kindness, faithfulness, courage to do what is right. It's a beautiful thing. And it is also the thing, obedience to God's law, that saves us from hell. Jesus perfectly keeps the law so that he can save us from the curse of the law. But look, just a quick digression. Here is an obvious question, isn't there? If Jesus perfectly kept God's law and gave me his status as law keeper and saved me from the consequences of breaking God's law, well, does it really matter how I live? Do I need to worry about keeping God's law? Oh, yes, I do. Not because keeping the law will save me. No, Jesus saves. He perfectly keeps the law. He lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. No, we keep the law because it is good. God's law reveals God's character. Think of it like this. God made us in his image to reflect his character to the world. To be truly human then is to be God-like And the law shows us how to be like God. It shows us how to be human. The Ten Commandments. And the wider explanation of those commands that we find in books like Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy that we so often skip over. They are not archaic rules. They reflect the character of God. And they show us how to be human. I feel like I need to comment on this. You might have picked up in the news this week that the Church of England has been considering whether they should conduct same-sex marriages in their churches. Now, those in favor of a change have argued that preventing same-sex marriages is harmful. It stops people expressing their humanity. But you see, God's law prohibits same-sex marriage precisely because that way of living is detrimental to human flourishing. It's the same reason why he prohibits divorce, except in very particular circumstances. And the same reason that he's against and prohibits husbands abandoning their wives and families and any kind of sex or sexual misconduct outside of marriage, including pornography. He prohibits these things because all these things are an offense to him because they are so damaging to those made in his image. His law shows us how to be like him and shows us, therefore, how to be truly human. Now, look, before you feel smug and think, well, I haven't broken any of those laws... Spend a bit more time meditating just on the Ten Commandments and soon your heart will be convicted and you will come to see why you so desperately need Jesus to save you from the consequences of breaking God's law. We all stand in the same position. None is more righteous than any other. We all need the grace of God in the life of Jesus. So Jesus fulfills the law. He saves us not from the law. The law is good, but from the consequences of failing to keep God's law. Jesus is born under the law to save us from the curse of the law. Salvation has come. The law is 
fulfilled. But we need to move on. We need to see how do you respond to that. So the infant Jesus is brought into the temple. And even though he's not yet said anything or done anything, he still manages to cause an incredible commotion. And two wonderful believers, Simeon and Anna, they greet Jesus. And they're similar. They're both devout. They both love the Lord. And they are both waiting. Simeon is waiting, verse 25. Anna is waiting, verse 38. And they show us two beautiful responses to Jesus, to God saves. Simeon shows us that we can die in peace. And Anna shows us that we can live in hope. Let's think about those things. Salvation has come. We can die in peace. Have a look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon is a godly man and he's waiting, waiting for the time of consolation or the comforting of Israel. He's looking back to the promises of Isaiah 40 when God said, I will comfort my people. I will console them. I will bring their judgment to an end. Simeon is waiting. And he's waiting with expectation because the Holy Spirit has told him that he will see the Lord's Messiah before he dies. Who knows how long he's been there in the temple waiting, watching every baby as it comes in, thinking, is this the one? And then one day he sees Mary and Joseph carrying the infant Jesus and somehow he knows, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, I remember when our kids were much smaller, you know, newly born. And you would go into like Sainsbury's or somewhere and babies, newborn babies, it's almost as if they are public property, isn't it? People reach out, they, they put their face right in the pram, they kind of want to scrub and, 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 and what you, what, rub their head, that's the word, I'm not scrub their head, that would be a bit odd. But they want to rub their head and they, they want to be involved and I, I kind of love that actually, I think I'm one of those, those, those people. Um, but, but Simeon is on another level. He sees Jesus, he takes him out of Mary's arms and he praises God. That never happened to me in Sainsbury's. And Mary and Joseph, they don't call security. They don't tell Simeon to respect their personal space. No, they marvel, verse 33. And they marvel because Simeon, without having met Joseph or Mary, without anyone pointing Jesus out, knows who he is. Verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting. He looks down in Jesus and says, this is what I've been waiting for. My eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. And having seen Jesus, it is enough for Simeon 
verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He can die happy. He can die in peace. He has seen salvation. It's brilliant, isn't it? I wonder, can we say the same? Lord, I've seen your salvation. I can die in peace. Or are we waiting for something else? First, Lord, I need to see my kids grow up. Maybe get married. Maybe have some grandchildren. Then I can die in peace. I need saints to win the league. Then I can die in peace. It's going to be a long wait. I need to travel. I need to see the world. I need to experience love and marriage. Then I can die in peace. But think, what did Simeon actually see? He saw a tiny baby who'd done nothing or said nothing, and yet that was enough for him. Lord, I've seen your salvation. We have seen so much more. We have seen the adult Jesus who spoke words of life, who taught with an authority and wisdom that truly changed the world. We have seen the righteous Jesus who perfectly kept God's law. We have seen the Messiah Jesus who calmed the storm and healed the sick, who cast out demons and raised the dead. We have seen the crucified Jesus who died in our place. We have seen the risen Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the Father. Brothers and sisters, if nothing else happened in your life, if you achieved none of your hopes or dreams, you can still say, Lord, you may dismiss your servant in peace, for I have seen and experienced and tasted your salvation in the Lord Jesus. But don't confuse dying in peace with dying in comfort. Having Jesus as your salvation doesn't mean you will die in comfort. Listen to what Simeon says in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against him so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Salvation isn't comfortable. Jesus will cause division. Some will love him and some will hate him. And those who follow Christ and uphold his teachings will find the same. Some will love them and some will hate them. That's not comfortable. And Jesus will reveal the truth of our hearts. He will penetrate into the depths of our hearts and root out hypocrisy and deceit and fear of man or whatever else is lurking there. He will confront us with the worst of ourselves. That is not comfortable. And Jesus will bring heartache. Mary's soul will be pierced when she looks upon her son being pierced on the cross. Having Jesus as your saviour isn't comfortable. There is division and opposition and conviction of sin and there is heartache. You may not die in comfort, but with Jesus you can die in peace. He has lived the life you should have lived. He's kept the law. 
He has died the death you should have died. He's taken the curse of the law upon himself. You can die in peace. Salvation has come. We can die in peace. And finally, salvation has come. We can live in hope. Mary and Joseph are just getting over the shock of Simeon reaching out and picking up Jesus from his arms. And someone else makes their way over. Or or given her age, more like shuffles her way over to Mary and Joseph. Listen, verse 36. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Or or more likely, she was a widow for 84 years. Did you hear that? Anna was married for seven years. Her husband dies. And for 84 years, she's lived as a widow. You know, life did not work out the way that Anna thought it would. She walked down the aisle and promised to love her husband until death. She did not think that would be in seven years' time. I don't think they had quite the same sentimental view of love and marriage that we do today. But still, Anna would have had her hopes and dreams and imagined growing old with her husband. But it was not to be. And how do you respond to that? That disappointment? Because here's the thing I think we would be tempted to do. It would be to grumble, to be filled with self-pity, to feel bitter towards God, to to turn inward, to become self-absorbed, but not Anna. There's something beautiful about her attitude, something worthy of our imitation. Those 84 years were not years of bitterness or anger towards God. Why did you take my husband away from me? She wasn't stuck looking backwards and grumbling and complaining and regretting. I am talking to myself here as much as to anyone else. No, for 84 years, she lived in hope. Verse 38 Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Like Simeon, Anna was waiting, waiting in hope and expectation. She was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, the putting right of all things, the fulfillment of God's promises to save. And like Simeon, she saw her hopes fulfilled in Jesus. If Simeon shows us how to die in peace, Anna shows us how to live with hope. Because like Anna, we are waiting. She was waiting for the Messiah's first coming. We are waiting for his second coming. And no matter how difficult our personal circumstances get, don't despair. Hope, Jesus is coming. No matter how desperate we might find living in this world and the opposition that we may or may not face. Do not fear. Hope. Jesus is coming. But look, just as we finish, how do you keep that hope? How did Anna sustain her hope for 84 years? She never took her eyes off the Lord. Verse 37. She never left the temple 
but worships night and day, fasting and praying. She lived in the temple. I imagine some around her thought her a little bit eccentric, a little bit odd, a bit over the top. Anna, go home. But Anna knew the meaning of Psalm 84. How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. That was Anna. She yearned to be in the presence of the Lord. Her heart was set upon God. She worshipped and served the Lord night and day. And that is why she never lost her hope. You see, her hope didn't come from nowhere. It came from a heart that was set upon the Lord. And her heart set upon the Lord doesn't come from nowhere. It came through fasting and prayer and worship. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to live with hope like Anna had, even when those dark thoughts and sinful thoughts of grumbling and discontentment about God surfaced inside us, if we're going to drown out those thoughts and live with hope, then we need to cultivate that hope. We need to set our hearts upon our God. And we need to use everything that God has given us to keep our hearts turned to him. Prayer, fasting, church, the scriptures, one another, husbands caring and taking responsibility for the spiritual well-being of their families, parents discipling their children in the way they should go, brothers and sisters in Christ speaking the truth and love to one another and calling one another back when they stray and showing patience and grace towards one another, singing songs and hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Like Anna, we cultivate hope. We set our hearts upon the Lord by using everything he has given us. And so we wait with hope. Not looking back with grumbling. But looking forward and longing for the return of Jesus. Because he is coming. And he will come in all his glory And he will come to judge the living and the dead. And he will come to welcome us into his glory. And he will come to save us from indwelling sin. And come to set us free from heartache and pain. He will come to comfort us. He will come to put all things right. Salvation has come. And salvation is coming live in hope the Lord Jesus is our saviour and we know him we've experienced him that means we can die in peace and we can live in hope moment of quiet and then I'm going to pray
Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Heavenly Father, we are in a much better place than Simeon was. We live the other side of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We are in a much better place than Anna was. And yet those brothers, that, that, that brother, that sister, showed to us a wonderful response to the Lord Jesus, to salvation coming. Please, by your spirit, may we be like Simeon. May we be like Anna. May we be willing to die in peace and live in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.